Okay, you know, this is third time around. You guys know that I like to have audience participation. Uh, I, man, I'm hot. I bet. I'm, it's fine. I don't really know where to go with that, but um, <laughs> wow, am I turning red? I, luckily, I was already a little red, so that's kind of that was kind of kind of hidden. Uh, no, I think it's actually because maybe I'm a little nervous because this this topic is really near and dear to my heart. Doc, I know you hate it when I get emotional. No, I'm kidding. He, and uh, me too, you're not alone. <laughs> but this is, a, this is something that's very close to my heart. I, you know, I was always told that you had like a few seconds to give him first impressions. So those of you who don't know me, you've seen that I have a jacket now, and now I'm going to take it off. Okay. <laughs> okay. If I'm wet under the arms, then. <laughs> okay. Freemans, welcome back. It's good to see you guys. Love you, buddy. All right, so, um, okay, recap. Does anybody know what we talked about the last couple weeks? Okay, Matt? (laughs) It's not fair, you have a photographic memory. Uh, No? Okay, recap. First week we talked about how Satan, the deceiver, comes to wrap... Oh my goodness, this is catching on my collar. I'm a mess this morning, guys. I apologize. Oh, it's funny. I was walking up here and Amy Woolsey goes, hey, Chris, I like how thin the notes are. And I was like, oh, wait. Just because there's thin notes, you don't know how long I can talk. So anyway, uh, it's funny. Um, What was I even saying? Oh, yeah. Okay. Beauty. Stick to the notes, right? Okay. So uh, beauty um, is the battlefield upon which the souls are fought for between God and Satan, right? It's the battlefield upon which our lives are fought for because we're attracted to things that are beautiful, that look good, that sound good. We're attracted to those things, and so that is how Satan comes as the deceiver because we would be able to spot it if there was falsehood over here and truth over here, right? Because there would be such a deep, deep chasm between the two. Everybody remember when I talked about that? So the way that he passes off deception is there's an element of truth in it. Now, we could debate the percentage of truth because I think it varies depending on the conversation and, and who you're talking to and various things. Maybe there's 90% that's truth, but does that matter? No. Because if you put just a speck of something, <laughs> I was about to say, you remember Bible study when he was like, <laughs> my, anyway, yeah, the cookie analogy, I won't say that. Um, um, but he was saying that, I won't you know, say exactly how he said it. I love Bible study. If you don't go to Bible study, you really need to be there. I mean, you talk about just an opportunity of men to come in, be authentic, be genuine, run together after the Lord, come with all your stuff and, and be the leaders, but also be allowed to be vulnerable. Doc, it's okay. I'm just kidding. I love you, Doc. All right, so um, anyway, Bible study. Yeah, so we were, he was talking about it. He's like, yeah, if you bake a batch of cookies and there's a little piece of dog turd in it, it's like, 
Does it, do you still want to eat the cookie? No, right? So, man, I, I'm pretty sure that this week will be the week that we're kicked off YouTube. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> worst thing. All right. So it doesn't matter if there's 90% truth because if there's 10%, if there's 1% untruth, we have to be able to discern between that. And how do we discern between that? That goes into uh, last week. The way that we're able to do that is by exercising our spirit. Remember, we talked about that, that the three parts of the spirit are the conscious, fellow, conscience, fellowship, and intuition. It's our ability to contact God, that he is actually able to dwell with us and in us, the holy living God. And that is so good. And that is how we're able to discern it. Because guess what? As smart as Matt is, as smart as you are, you can't, with your earthly mind, be able to discern between spiritual truth and spiritual untruth. Because the flesh doesn't know things of the spirit. You guys with me? Okay. So that was last week. So being, having our spirit regenerated and living that out is literally what Paul meant to live Christ. Right? He didn't say, I want to be like Christ, I want to live like Christ. He also wasn't saying that he was part of the deity, that he was now imperfect and he was God being able to live out Christ. No, he was saying that he is literally organically living out the fruit of the Spirit because his Spirit is being regenerated and he is living out Christ. Amen? So now it brings us into the third week. So we've got to take everything that we've learned for the last two weeks. If you haven't had a chance to look, to look at those, uh, then I, I, I would encourage you to do so. Um, it'll, it'll, I think, illuminate what we're discussing today even more. Um, but this was the most challenging, I, I have to say, to create because I could turn family, the, a talk on family, into a six-month series. Uh, <laughs> those of you who know me, you're like, yep, yeah, you could. Um, I mean, I, I, Casey was like, really, six months? I mean, I know you could talk about it for a while, but really, six months? And I said, yeah, I mean, what about this? And she's like, yeah, what about this? And she's like, well, yeah. <laughs> so it's literally that. I mean, I could spend a whole month on how sorry is part of the world system and not what you and I think it is, and actually the true ability to have reconciliation in the marriage is a picture of forgiveness, not sorry. I could spend a month on that alone, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But literally, I'm really going to try, DS, to stick to my notes today because I've jotted so many things down, I'm trying to take six months of content and cram it into three hours. Did you guys <laughs> Shorter than that. Okay, <laughs> but I wanted everyone to be here. I wanted the kids to be here because creating a foundation and understanding how God designed you to be a part of a unit called the family that he has a heart for, okay? All right. So I'm gonna try and give the main points today. Okay, family, God's designed for it and how God views it, God views it. Also, remember how I grew up. I didn't go into a lot of detail. I talked about this more in the first week that, I, that, that uh, we were here. 
is that I, this thing is driving me nuts. Okay. No, I think I got it. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> remember how I grew up. I didn't have a model for family at all. My dad was a military kind of drill sergeant. Um, love was not expressed or talked about or anything. Um, and if you want to hear how that story kind of ended, then go back to the first week. Um, but it, it was not good. I did not have an understanding of what family was all about. So when I went to Bible school, man, it was so hard because God started breaking down everything that I once knew or thought to know. What I believed in the church, things I thought about family, <clears throat> all of the things, God broke this down in my life so that he could rebuild a foundation of truth in him. And the Holy Spirit started to regenerate my spirit and build the biblical grid that I talked about last week so that I could be able to, and not me, right? You know what I mean when I say me, okay? It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit in me. But being able to discern between truth and what's not truth, okay? Because that's the only way that you can. So he started building this, uh, this, this framework of truth, and that's when actually my relationship with my dad was restored and we became best friends praise God, <clears throat> uh, for three years before he passed. And God started to break my heart for the things that break his. He started to birth in me the desire and a passion for family like I'd never known. And I prayed that God would build in me that desire to be able to see what family is all about. His economy. Some of you have heard me say that word, his economy. Well, where does that word come, where does that word come from, economy? Why do I say economy? What is God's economy? Well, it's a quotation from 1 Timothy 1.4. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions. Rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Edifying, actually, more accurately, if you do a word study on it, actually would uh, be more appropriate or more accurately transcribed as economy. It is the Greek word akoinomia, which primarily signifies the household management, the household administration, arrangement and distribution, or dispensation. It is the household management, the household administration, arrangement and distribution, or dispensation of him into the family. It is literally him being poured out into the family. That's what God's economy is all about. It's how he has created a hierarchy and a structure so that his presence could fill the family. That's God's economy. 
Once again, it is the household management, the household administration, if you're taking notes. There was a bunch of pens out there. I saw Haley do it. So take notes, because you know I only have scriptures up here. Amy. <laughs> okay. Of him, of, and dispensation of him into the family. So if I could sum up John 17 and our purpose on the earth, John 17 is such an intimate prayer. It is Jesus praying to the Father, and, and this is probably a gross simplification uh, or a, a summation, but it is an intimate prayer of, of him praying to the Father that they would know you like I know you and that you would be known. Literally, our job in this earth as a Christ follower is to know him first and make him known. That's it. Know him and make him known. Are you doing that? Are you knowing him and then are you making him known? And we, and we know him and we make him known first in the family. First in the family. <clears throat> when you and I understand God's heart for family, we do this by way of a koinomia, a koinomia, which we talked about, God's economy, which again is the household management, household administration, arrangement and distribution or dispensation of him into the family. See, here's the thing. I want to talk about distractions of knowing him and making him known. And the first thing that you need to remember is that we have an enemy. Right? Matt was talking about that a little bit with the vision and, and his time in worship in the announcements. We have an enemy and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you and I are if we're a believer. Now, you've heard that before, I'm sure, if you've been around in the church any time, any amount of time. But listen to that with new ears, with fresh ears, like you've never heard it before. You have an enemy that wants to steal from you, wants to kill you, and destroy you. Some of us have gotten a little bit complacent even with hearing that. What would you do if somebody, if you find out the police called you and said, hey, we've just received an anonymous tip that someone's actually going to be, that someone's going to kill you. They want to destroy you. How would you respond? Would you start arming up? Would you start barricading the house? Would you start, what would you do? But yet, do we do that in our lives, in our Christian walk with the Lord, because you have an enemy, and his job is to steal, kill, and destroy you and me? This is war, and it's a war on our family. If you're a believer in the sanctification process, he wants to take you out. If you aren't being attacked, then you're not being effective for the kingdom. If you're not being attacked right now, then you're not being effective for the kingdom. You know why? Because you're already useless for the kingdom. Why does he want to spend his time on taking you out? You've already done that for him. If you're not being attacked, then you're not being effective for the kingdom. We talked about in the last couple weeks, we get comfortable, right? We do not grow when we're comfortable. We only grow in times of friction, That's why I've said last week and the week before, embrace the friction. You might as well start loving it when you have friction. 
Now, what Jesus can do is give you peace within the storm. He didn't say he'd take it away. He can give you peace within the storm. And the minute the disciples took their their eyes off of him, that's when things went wrong. That's when he sank. Jesus said he'd give you peace within the storm. He never said he would take it away. We're in a war. So distracted. And I think that we battle this more in, in places like Edmund. We have our nice jobs, our nice incomes. Everything is taken care of. It's not just Edmund. We live in the United States. Let me just give you one, uh, just a couple things here on uh, being an American. If you're American, generally speaking, you're part of the global well-to-dos. Even the median household of roughly 63,000 a year income places places us beyond the top 1% in the entire globe. Are our good jobs, our good pay, our nice houses, our nice cars, vacations we go on, etc., wrong, though, because they distract us? So there's two groups of people that I, would, I just want to highlight. Number one are the people that actually love money. Now, I hope that's nobody in here, but that's something you're going to have to be before the Lord, and you say, you know, do I actually love money? Do I really love money? Because the Bible's pretty clear on that. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the love of money because I think that's pretty clear. And we, I think most of us, and again, I would encourage you to examine that in your heart, but most of us would say, oh, I don't love money. That's why I think most of us fit in the next category. Don't you think you were, that you were going to be safe? <laughs> Those who are distracted by it. I'm going to spend more time talking about this one. 1 Corinthians 7.35. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without Distraction. Serve the Lord without distraction. Do we have distractions in the world we live in? Does money provide extra distractions? Yeah, it does. It does. Am I saying that that's wrong for you to have money? No, I'm not. Seek to understand, not misunderstand. Remember we took that from from two weeks ago? Whatever week. Mark 4.19, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Distractions choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Are you distracted? Are you distracted by the world system and the things in it? So am I saying, okay, but we, we, you know, it's like wake up Saturday morning and it's like, okay, family, what do you want to do? Let's go do this. Am I saying that's wrong? No, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that because of the conveniences that we have, they can be distractions and money is at the center of it. Does anyone know what I'm saying here? 
That's why I said places like Edmond, we battle this probably more than a lot of other cultures and areas. Okay? <clears throat> Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the, lo- loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking in the Greek is actually the word apophoro. Or a, 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 man, I knew I was going to mess this up. <laughs> it's that word right there. And it literally means to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on something. Turn your eyes from other things and fix them on something. So now put that into the verse. Looking unto Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus. That's what it's saying there. Colossians 3.1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Are you distracted? Are you setting your mind on the things above or setting your eyes on this earth? Listen, I know it's hard, okay? I can get distracted myself. And by the way, by the way, let me just stop and I'm going to pray because, well, let me just pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your word would cut away any areas in our hearts of callousness, any blinders that we have would be removed by your spirit. And Lord, my prayer today is that you disturb every single person here that they would embrace the friction. Disturb me, God. Disturb me. Forgive me for the days that I go home and I go, okay, I just want to do whatever. I just want to relax. I want to be comfortable. Lord, I don't want to be comfortable. We're living in the last days, and I want to be an effective warrior and agent for for, for knowing you and making you known. And that's my heart for everybody here. Disturb us. In Jesus' name, amen. So setting our minds on things above, not on the earth. So our purpose is to know him and make him known. In the very first place, as I said before, make him known is in the family. The first place is in the family. Why I wanted everybody here together today? Because it's the family. It's the family. And you guys in your schools... You're around other kids that have gone through divorces. You've gone through or whatever it is. I mean, I, I could spend just the next hour naming all the challenges that you guys face in schools. And how do you know how to stand firm? How do you know what is true when untruth is being bombarded in your minds and in, in you every day? You got to know where to stand. You have to be together in a family unit that knows and serves God first. So that's the problem. We need to know him and make him known. And we do that first in the family. But how do we know him and how do we do that first in the family? And why is it? Why are you talking about family? What, what, 
Why, why are you spending this time kind of trying to drill this point home? Why, what does the Bible say about family? See, most people think that if you're married, there are two people in your marriage. Just careful with your mind there. <laughs> the, the husband and the wife, right? If you're a believer, there's three people in the marriage, the husband, the wife, and the Lord, Right? but it's actually more than that. If you're a believer, it's your husband, the wife, the Lord, the enemy of the husband, the wife, and the Lord. There's four people. So we're going to spend some time today talking about that fourth person, the enemy. God is a father seeking to build a family. And his desire is and was to build a family. Why? How? How do we know that? Well, God's word, it's the ultimate authority. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. We cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's family language. Is it not? That's family language. Jeremiah 24, 7, I didn't put these on here. These were some additions I added this morning. So write them down. You have pens. I know it. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 24, 7, Jeremiah 30, 22, and Jeremiah 32, 38. So Jeremiah 24, 7, Jeremiah 30, 22, and Jeremiah 32, 38 is some version in verses they put them, they kind of flip-flop this, but I will be their God and they will be my, my people. I will be their God and they will be my people. That is, a, that is a father creating a family. That's family language. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 12, 48, but he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Romans 12, 49, and he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my brothers and my mother, my mother and my brothers. Who is he referring to? You and I, body of Christ, brothers and sisters. Romans 12, 50, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is family language. You guys see that? Family language. Treatment of people in the church. 1 Timothy 5.1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with all purity. What is that? It's family language. It's family language. The bride of Christ. Anna talked about this a little bit last week when her and Cody came up. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does 
the church. He's saying for you to love your wives as he loves the church. Maybe we should spend a little bit of time talking about how much God loves his church. This is family language. Family language. So kind of a recap here on family language. God is the father. Jesus is the son. Even in his own being, there's a family, right? We're to, we, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to treat older women as mothers, treat older, father as, older men as fathers, younger women as sisters, younger men as brothers in all purity, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Spirit of adoption, we are all one with him. We are children of God. That's family language. The entire gospel is family language because he died for us to be in his what? Family. Family. There's two realms. There's the seen realm and there's the unseen realm. And I can't do this if I tried, but, you know, Matt, so I'm, like, I'm going to go into the curling the dimensions back like Matt does, and he does his, you know, his hands like that. <laughs> okay, so there's the seen realm, and there's the unseen realm. We get a peek into the unseen realm of God's design for family before Satan tried to break it up. Job 38.4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. This is God talking to Job, right? With As Matt likes so much, with a bit of sarcasm here. Because he's like, Job, if you think you know so much, let me ask you a few questions. Right? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Can you imagine Job's face in that moment? Be like, <laughs> uh, whatever. But I just thought it was good. Yeah. Okay, 38.5. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what, where, or to what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Job 38, 7. When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. <clears throat> we know this is not humanity because this was before the foundations of the earth, right? So who was it? And we don't have time today to go through all of the different types of divine beings. That's Bible study. Bible study. Welcome back. Um, let's go through the divine beings, right? Anyway, divine beings. We don't have time to go through all those today, but it was God's unseen realm. It was the divine family before the foundations of the earth. God had a family. It says it right here. The sons of God. Right? But then God's family split. Revelations 12, 12, 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Revelation 12, 8. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. that probably felt a little bit like a divorce.
And let me just say that some people think that if their family is in the presence of, of God, they won't be dealing with any war. There was a war that broke out in God's presence. You have to be on your guard. Because what would it actually be like if somebody was told, remember, somebody called you up and said, hey, there's somebody out there to kill you and destroy you. What would guard look like? Being on guard. Many, maybe some of you have wayward children and you're thinking, man, what happened? What did we do wrong? We raised them in a Christian home. Maybe it has or had nothing to do with you, though. God wasn't a bad parent, and it happened in heaven. I don't know, maybe that's freeing for somebody today. God didn't fail, but he was attacked. Maybe you didn't fail, maybe you were just attacked. The question is now, though, is that what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do when you're attacked? Right? I get maybe things have happened in the past. Maybe there was a divorce. Maybe there is a wayward child. Maybe there's all of these different things. Okay, I get it. We're attacked. But what are you going to do about it now? I want you guys to see that this war is behind every other war. If we understand this war, then we understand every other war. Satan attacked and broke God's family. We've got to be more intentional parents. I'm going to get into that. But then God made family in the seen realm. See, that was the unseen realm, but now family was created in the seen realm. And what did Satan do? Attacked it. See, you guys need to realize that everything that God builds, Satan wants to destroy. Everything. Everything. And God's building you through a regenerative sanctification process. He wants to take you out. He wants to kill you. He wants to make you ineffective for the kingdom. So he made a, he made a family in the seen realm. He made, he made the uh, man and then the woman. So this is an important key point. Adam was firstly responsible. Men, you're firstly responsible. Let me just say, it's singular headship, plural leadership. Okay? Singular headship, but plural leadership. What, you say, Adam was firstly responsible. How do you know that? Well, who sinned first? It's not a trick question. The woman. Who sinned first? The woman. Who was held first responsible by God? The man. The man. The man is firstly responsible. The Bible says that the man is the head of the household. Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, let me just kind of shatter every feminist out there. 
It will, fa- it, will, it will shatter every feministic ideology. That is not a biblical perspective. The word submit is hypotiso. It, it actually means to subordinate, reflexively to obey, be under obedience, obedient, put under, subdue unto, be made subject to, unto, be put into subjection, under, submit self unto, to submit to one's control, to yield, one, yield one's admonition or advice, absolutely. That kind of spells it out for me pretty clearly. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, that's where you don't say amen. <laughs> Men, don't say amen to that. <laughs> it's like, it wasn't fair. You tricked me. <laughs> um, but that's, listen, you can get all mad or upset all you want. This is how it's laid out in the Bible. This is the hierarchical structure that God has set up. Okay? Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Let's talk about the head for a minute. See, the head in men and both often, that's why it's referred to so much as capital punishment, because if you take the head away, then what happens to the body? It dies, right? Cut off the head of the serpent, cut off the head of the snake, and what happens to the snake, right? So often, man and animals, you cut off the head and the body dies. This is very intentional. If you think about this, why is God talking about the head and how the body falls into subjection with the head? And this hierarchy, what's the importance of it? Well, go back to those verses that we talked about, and then you'll look at head at a totally different meaning. Now, guys, you're not off the hook, because I'm going to get to you in just a second. Some of you men are passive, and that's why your family's falling apart. Do not mistake passive for meek or gentle. That's not passivity. Passivity is allowing what happens or what others do without active response or resistance. That's what passivity is. You do nothing. That's passivity. You're sitting on the sidelines, not being the leader that God has called you to be, or you're active but passive in the family. Maybe you look at everything else and you go, no, I'm active here. I'm active in the community. Maybe I'm active over here in my business. Maybe I'm active, 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 active. But you're passive in the family. I know people that have actually told me, I'm called to be in the mission field or whatever. I'm thinking of a specific individual that told me they were called to be in the mission field and this family was a mess. And I said, no, you're not. And he looked at me and he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, your family's screwed up. God didn't call you to the mission field because he called you to your family first. He called you to your family first. We are to know him and make him known in the family first. Now, nothing wrong with being called to the mission field. That's not what I'm saying. 
But God is not going to step out of his, in character, his character and do, undo everything he wrote in the Bible, which the entirety of it is family language, which is why he sent his son to die so that you could have a mess in your family and say you're being called to the mission field or whatever else in the ministry. Do you see that? If you don't, you need to. Ephesians 5.24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their... uh, let, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, let me, let me just kind of get onto the men here a little bit. He's like, well, I thought you already were. It's like, well, just wait. <clears throat> First Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Here's the deal. Men, Your wives would submit to you if you were submitting to your headship, which is Christ. Because head, remember we talked about what that actually meant in the Greek and to submit. Men, we have to submit to the headship of Christ in that same way. Submitting everything, being completely obedient in absolutely everything, no questions asked. And are you submitting to the headship of Christ in everything, no questions asked, absolutely? Say, look, well, my wife doesn't submit to me. Then are you submitting to Christ? Am I, me, submitting to Christ? Well, my wife didn't want to come under me under this thing. Okay, then am I submitting to Christ? Because let me tell you something. We are men. We screw up. We are fallible. I make mistakes all the time. But she doesn't trust me. She trusts the God in me. She trusts the regenerative, spirited Chris Burkle. That's what headship looks like. And men, we've got to be the leaders that God called us to be. We are in a war. And Satan is coming and he's taking our families out and we don't even see it because we're distracted. It's like, oh man, he's getting fiery again. I liked last week much more better than the week before. Well... I guess, I don't know. This is, um, I said this earlier, singular headship, plural leadership. The spiritual composition of the family is solely responsible on the man. But, but, but Chris, you don't know, you don't know what's going on in our family. You don't, you don't know what's going on in my buddy's life. I mean, she's really awful to him. And, and man, I, I just, I think they should get a divorce. I mean, heck, I'm, I'm kind of even telling them to. The spiritual condition or composition of the family is solely responsible on you. And I don't care what you think about it. Because whether you like it or not, that's what the word of God says. It's on the men. It's on the men. It's on the men. Men, do you see this? 
Some may, may say it's not my fault. I don't care if it's not your fault. It's still your responsibility. Who sinned first in the garden? Eve. Who did God call out first? Adam. I don't care if, it, if, if you think it's not your fault. It's your responsibility. You're firstly responsible. And he said, where are you? Where are you? So men, where are you? Where are you? Where are you in your marriage? Where are you with your kids? Where are you with your kids' friends? Students, you have to guard who you're around. Don't leave that up just to the parents. You have to guard who you're around, who your friends are. <laughs> the kids are like, <laughs> me? <laughs> it's important. You become who you hang around with. Period. Don't leave that up to the parents. But you know what? Sometimes, sometimes parents actually know a little bit more than you do, believe it or not. Right? And the, the vantage point of the parent, it's kind of like the surgeon doing work on the heart surgery, right? Like, even if I knew how to do that, there's no way I would have operated on my son. Too emotionally involved. The surgeon, he does it every day of every week of every month of every year, right? It's mechanical for him. Now, yeah, when he was having a surgery, um, that was the shirt collar. Um, yeah, when he ha was having his surgery, I mean, not to sound rude, but that was the surgery I cared about the most. Even I knew that there were probably 15 surgeries that the surgeon had that week. So sometimes the parents have a vantage point when they're looking at your friendship and going, you shouldn't be around that person. And for you guys, it doesn't really matter because if you guys too call yourselves a Christian, you've got to honor and love and respect your parents, period. Period. Do not go out here today and, and, and call yourselves Christians if you're not going to honor and cherish and love and respect your parents. That's who God put in your life to be your parent. Okay? Where are you men in your marriage? Where are you with your kids? Where are your kids' friends? Where are you with the church? Where are you in your spiritual growth? Are you emotionally present with your kids or on your phones? More is caught than taught. You can sit there and tell them to not be on their phones all day long, but if they're watching you, sorry, more is caught than taught. So men, are you emotionally present with your kids or are you on your phones? Kids, are you on your phones all the time and parents just staring at the tops of your heads? I love, 
There's a fly flying around me. I love connecting with my kids. It's the thing I look forward to the most. And my wife. I love connecting with my kids. I want to be around them. They are a blessing from the Lord. And I've got so much passion about this topic in me that it just, I can't contain it sometimes. And it kills me, parents, when you say you can't wait for them to go back to school because you want your freaking days back. Stop saying things like that. Your children are blessing from God. A lot of times the family is suffering and succumbing to the tactics of the enemies because the men are weak. We have to understand God's view of family and take it seriously because Satan is coming for you. Satan is coming to attack you. Say, why are you, why are you so passionate about this? Why are you saying this? Why are you, why are you, char- because we're at war and you have an enemy that is wanting to take you and your kids out. And you hear people talk and they say, oh, well, you know, you can be mean to me, but don't mess with my kid. You get like that in the world system, but you're not doing it today spiritually when there is an enemy that is constantly after you and he doesn't sleep, he doesn't rest, he wants your kids and he wants to take you out. Are we going to let him? He did it both in the unseen world. He did it in the seen world and the unseen world. And he's doing it today, right under our noses. We have to stand firm. We are at war. This has eternal consequences. That's the thing, too, because of their view of family. And listen... If you've been through a divorce or something like that, I, God can restore that. God can bring wholeness to the family. I'm not saying that. But let me just tell you something that more is caught than taught, right? And the condition of your family, your family is the closest representation to you ha- that what they have on this earth of knowing what God's economy is all about. A relationship with their father. If you have not seen the movie, Show Me the Father, you need to do it this afternoon with your family. And it gives statistics in this movie about father wounds and men growing up without fathers and how they've had to come overcome obstacles because they didn't have dads in their lives. The family is being attacked spiritually, socially. It's being attacked. Are we going to just sit by and be complacent? Are we going to just let them watch whatever they want, even though they're trying to put that agenda in the, in, the, in the programming for the kids and say it's just programming? Are we not going to help guard their eyes, guard their ears, which are the gateways to their inner parts of their being? We're at war. 
And I'm looking for men that are going to put on the face paint with me and charge and go, you are not going to take my family. Because it was ordained and set by God. It is our calling as men. And some of you may say, let, let him come as you're putting on the face paint, ready to go to war. And the whole time, he was already there because you never saw him coming. Goes back to what we've been talking about before, about being just deceived, attracted to the good or the beautiful things like we've been talking about. We have to be in the word every day as the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us in the family. Like Cody said last week, it scares him to not be in the word after two days. Scares him. I, I love the word choices that he used. It scares him to not be in the word more than two days. Because him being in the word and his spirit being regenerated as he's been living out by being in the word, he now knows the spiritual ramifications of what is going to happen in his family if he doesn't submit as Christ as his head. Men, wake up. And a lot of times we don't see Satan coming because we're actually in the world system. We are in Satan's system. This is a fallen world and we are in it. That's when the back of the few scriptures ago, it says, do not love the things of the world right? The person that loves the things of the world, the father is not in him. Because in this world, we are in his system. And what's scary is that the world system produces a result. Well, what do you mean by that? If I yell at my kids to go clean their room, well, maybe I don't yell first. Maybe I just say, hey, go clean your room. You expect them to obey. Kids, we do expect you to obey. It's kind of, a, kind of a thing. So if you tell them to go clean their room, and then they don't go, go clean their room. Well, let me just say this, too. Ah, stick to my Okay. Let me just say this. Be in the Word, but be in the Word so that you can understand what is a rebellious heart or one that just is disobedience? Well, you say, well, those two, how are those different? Because if our children are saying, after you tell them to do something and they have a defiant heart and they say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not most of our children. That's not most of our children. You've got to deal with that for sure, but that's not... Disobedience is different than defiance. Yeah, thank you, brother. You can tell my mouth is getting dry up here. How, many, how much water do you go through up here? <laughs> if I tell them to go clean the room and they didn't clean the room because they got distracted, is that defiant? No. It is disobedience. It's not defiant. Let me tell you something. You will gain mileage in the relationship with your kids if you understand what's defiance and what's just disobedience. We don't have time to go through all this, man. 
Oh, yeah, world system. So you tell them to go to clean the room, and they get distracted. They don't, they don't cl go clean the room. So then you say, hey, I told you to go clean your room. Can you go, cl go clean your room? They get distracted again. Now it's, go clean your room or else, right? Not any of us. <laughs> um, it produced a result eventually. They went and cleaned the room, didn't they? Eventually. Was the relationship gained? No. We're in the world system. The world system produces a result. How did we show men and women in this, how did we show love in our family culture by an interaction like that? Just because the world system can produce a result doesn't mean that it's God's system and it's God's economy. Because God's economy is that we know him and make him known in the family. And did that interaction know him in the family, make him known to them in the family, and encourage them to have a relationship with a loving father who died on the cross for them so that they could come into the forever family? You have to be able to discern between the world system and God's system. We're in the world, but we should not be of it. I'm going I'm to say it. I'm going to take the time for this. Okay. Guys, if we are looking around and our lives as Christ followers look like everyone else's in Edmond, where, what are we doing? What do you mean? Are we as busy as everyone else in Edmond? Are we, the world system says, go to school, get good grades, go to a good college, then so you can get married and have your 2.5 kids and then go on vacations and then wash, rinse, repeat. How did, that, how did you know him and make him known in that? And let, if, you're, if, you're, if we're looking around to our left and right and everybody in Edmond doing the same thing, they go to school and then afterwards activities and then they have their homework and then they go to bed, what time did you have? You say, wait a minute, you're talking about sports and I want them to have the experiences and I want the... I'm sorry, I want them to know Christ. You have to ask yourself if you're part of the world system or part of God's economy. We're at war. We're at war. And so what was gained? What was gained through all of that? Am I saying sports and all that is wrong? No. But if you don't have the time because you're getting distracted by all these other things and you look back and go, what did we do with the time? They became a great baseball player. They became, you know, I want them to say, I had an intimate relationship with the Lord, my, my, my Savior. So that then they can go and know him and make him known. Didn't say, I want to go and so I can be this great thing and have activity, family activities. Are you kidding? That's a joke to me. Family activities? Everybody calm down. I'm getting crazy up here. Family activities? What a joke. You were spending family time with your family activities? And then you're actually getting together on Saturday and go, hey, I haven't seen you all week. Oh my gosh, you're growing right before my eyes. You have braces? No, I'm kidding. It's the world system. And we can't, 
fall in it. To live in a world system, in a fallen world system, means that we struggle with sin on a daily basis. We experience heartache and pain. We witness natural disasters, staggering loss, injustice, inhumanity, falsehood, discord, trouble, are commonplace. None of this was God's original plan for humanity. We fell from our original position in the Garden of Eden. We now live in a fallen world, and all creation groans under consequences of our sin. Romans 8.22 for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or things in the world, and if anyone loves the world, the Father or the love of the Father is not in him. The world system is designed to distract us from knowing him and making him known in our family. That's it. I would really like everybody, Christ followers, and understanding the purpose of family to at the end of the week go, how did I know him and make him known in you guys as you're looking at your kids? How did we do that this week? Rather than, did we make all the practices? Did we make all the things? Other elements of the world system, what is life about? We talked about that. Is that really what it's all about? I was teaching a class at my kids' co-op, um, and I was talking about being a person of action. They asked me to do that as a business owner. And, and anyway, it turned into an apologetics class halfway through the semester, and we started talking about what they're wanting to do. Some of them were like, hey, I want to go be a doctor, and I want to go you know, be a writer, and I want to do all these things. And all, you know, not once did I hear, man, I don't, it doesn't matter what I do. I just want to just want to know him and make him known. So I said, full stop, this is where we spend our time. Because here's the thing, in whatever we do, men and women, if you're working, but whatever we do today in our jobs, you have to ask the, the, yourself this question. I have to ask myself this question. Are we knowing him and making him known with everything that we do? Because if the answer is no, then what are we doing? Then we're just part of the world system. Does this make sense? Three people still like me? I actually don't care if you like me, but... Um. <laughs> okay. So what are our priorities? You know, there was a time where Hayden was spending ungodly amounts of time dancing. And... So is Afton, but she wasn't spending the time that Hayden was yet. And so she was spending 12 hours a week dancing. And so finally I was like, oh, and what is up with like baseball practices and things being on Sunday? What is that? Some of you, it's like, oh, yeah, I know, baseball, like we got to keep doing whatever we need to be doing. Do you? Because what are you sacrificing along the way for them to be a great sports player in high school? What are you sacrificing? Because anytime you're saying yes, you're saying no to something else. Anytime you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So what are you saying yes to in your families that you're saying no to in your family? So Hayden, when I was talking to her, I told her, I said, you know, 
Caden, I, I just, what, I mean, and she was actually feeling this too because we, we have a lot of, lot of family time. And um, she, was, she was feeling this, and she's like, Dad, I just, there's just so much time I'm spending in dance, but I, I, but I love dance. And I said, okay. I said, I said sweetie, <clears throat> what are your priorities in life? And she thought for a minute. I said, yeah, what are, your, what are your priorities in life? Write them down. And she said, well. And I said, and don't write them down like you think that because you're taking a test and I'm giving you the test and you want to say what I want you to say. You're like, okay, I got dad's, you know. What is it? What, it, what are the things that are meaningful for you? And she wrote, okay, God first. And of course, then I'm like, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> that worked out. <laughs> but, you know, it's like God first, family Right? And then she had a bunch of priorities that she was putting down. And dance was like number six. And I said, sweetie, so you're spending 12 hours a week with dance. And I said, and that's low-level priority. What do you think? She looked at it and she goes, hmm. I said, well... Are you spending 12 hours or more on those things that are priority, prioritized above dance? Are you doing that more each week? And uh, she said, no. I said, well, what do you think about that? She said, well, I guess my priorities are out of whack. If you're spending that much time with a low-level priority, then don't sit there and fool yourself and everybody around you thinking that all these other higher priorities are higher because you're not giving the time to it. That's why the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will also follow. You know why? Because that's how we work. We're not that smart, women. Your guy, your husband, he's the leader, but he's really... <laughs> just kidding. I'll speak for myself. <laughs> All right. So you're talking about the time that you're spending doing these activities. You look back and you say, man, where was my time spent? Or did I spend it on a lower level priority? I was very proud of her for making that decision. We only have a little time while they're in the house, so we, we better make it count. We better make it count. Are you as a parent going to look back and say, man, we did all the things. They, they were able to go to school. They were part of the social clubs. They got all the sports in. But you know what? Where was their foundation in training them up as the way they should go and they won't depart from it? And again, everybody is doing that. I talk to people that are not very passionate about the Lord and guess what they're doing? Well, we tell our kids good, good grades, you know, and do all these things. And, you know, we've got all these activities after school. And, and then they come home, they have their home. And yet, we as believers that are called to be set apart and not a part of the world do the exact same thing as they do. And we validate it. Why? Because we follow the herd. Well, let me get my five friends who agree with me. Hey! It's not about your five friends that agree with you. It's about how are you aligned with the word of God. Same with parenting philosophies. I've heard a lot of people say this. Oh, we just have different parenting philosophies. No, you don't. If you're aligned with the word of God, you don't have a different philosophy. We're all unified in one spirit. 
If you're in the word of God and you have a biblical worldview, we don't have different philosophies. Job is to know him and make him known. That kind of goes back with the hiding behind the cross thing that I talked about actually a couple weeks ago. It's like, well, that's how you do it, but we just have different parenting philosophies. Well, what you're saying, you don't parent. And I know I'm stepping on a lot of people, and I'm okay with that because I want you to be disturbed. I want to be disturbed because we're at war. Well, do we really feel like we're at war because we have our, our nice jobs, our nice cars, our big houses? Do you guys see what I'm saying? We only have a little bit of time in the house, so we better make it count. Are we more concerned about them being great at sports or playing video games than we are about them having a heart for their Lord? Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way they should go, and they will not, when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a promise of God. Train him up. Now, here's my question. Well, let me just tell you what train in the Greek actually means. It means to devote or dedicate. Train. So what does that look like? How do you train for the big game? How do the athletes train for the big game? Or just training in general? In my daughter's case, how did they train for a dance recital? How do your students tra uh, train for music recitals or concerts? Or anything, really, anything. How do they train for that? Are we doing that in the Word with our family? Greek, devote or dedicate? Are we devoting, are they devoting or dedicating their time being trained up in the Lord? Or at the end of the week, do we say, well, we got caught up in the activities and the busyness, family activities and the busyness of the world system? You're kidding yourself if, you're say, if you think that you're training them up that way. And Satan will take you out. I mentioned this before. Kids are, um, your kids, by the way, are, is, are an extension of your parenting. I know that's going to sting a little bit for some. <laughs> Don't make eye contact with me. Your kids are an extension of your parenting. Casey and I were out to dinner. It, I'm not talking about anybody in this church or in this room, by the way, when I say this. They're like, crap, was it us? <laughs> We were out to dinner with, uh, with some friends of ours, and their kids were just doing all this stuff, running around, whatever. And it's like, it's, you know, but it's funny to me because then they're like, well, you know, little Johnny, it's just, you know, got different personalities and, you know, different things. And, you know, it's kind of like, no, how about you be a parent? How about you actually parent your child? How about you align yourself and your family with the word of God and what, that, what the word of God says about parenting and family? Don't use it as an excuse to not. More is caught than taught. And here's what the Bible says about this, guys. Train up our kids. They are a blessing. Genesis 18, 19, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Do you guys see that? Genesis 8, 8, 9, 18, 19. 
that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord. You see that? Deuteronomy 31.12, gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger even who's in within the gate, that they may hear and they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of the law. Bring the little children so that they can hear the commandments of the Lord, that they will learn to fear him. Deuteronomy 31.13, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. Your children. Psalm 34.11, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Come, children. Psalm 78, 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. Proverbs 3.1, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart, heart keep my commands. My son, keep my commands. 3 John 1.4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And you have to ask yourself, are we living by what the word of God says here about training our children up or are we getting caught up in the world system because everybody else is doing it and we're following the herd and broad is the gate that leads to destruction and many will go that way. Are we training up our children in the way they should go? Are you being distracted by the world system and we just, but, it, but because we want them to have all the experiences You need to check your heart. Men, are you submitting to your headship who is Christ? And women, are you submitting to the headship of your husband who is submitting to the headship of Christ? So I told you, I didn't have a good childhood. I didn't know what a a godly family should even look like. But I prayed about it. He put it on my heart. And God put the right people into my life and shared with me what I needed to know. I had mentors that I gathered around him, and I, I wore them out. I just had one, act, uh, uh, one of my mentors, I had lunch with him actually a few weeks ago, and I said, man, I wore you out. And he goes, you did, but I loved it. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but constantly put ourselves before the Lord and asked what we would have us do. And Casey and I thought we were intentional, and then God, you know, puts other things on your heart to even be more intentional. And we've even cut back on more things. And this isn't what it has to look like for you, but I'm just going to tell you what happens in my family. And by the way, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they say, God, but your family seems so perfect. We're not. I'll just tell you that. We make a lot of mistakes. Make a lot of mistakes. I could spend more time talking about the mistakes up here than anything else that I've been talking about, okay? And we've learned a lot, but because I've constantly wanted to be before the, at the feet of Jesus with my family, because I understand the war that's happening. 
and I've allowed the Holy Spirit to lead me and teach me and be who, who we need to be in the family. Yes, it's messy. But the Lord constantly, like once, the, once I get comfortable, it's like the Lord says, oh, I need you to do this. This time actually came from Casey. Casey came to me and she said, I just feel like the Lord's really putting on our heart that we need to, we're going into a period of rest and war. Hmm, okay, what does that look like? And she said, um, do you feel like that? Have you, have you had that in your, in your prayer time come up at all? And I was like, no. And so I was like, but I will commit to pray for it. I pray for that and see what the Lord would, ha- would show me. And I got clarity. It was actually when we went to Colorado. And I came back and I said, Casey, hmm, God gave me the clarity. I said, what are we doing but I don't want to take Afton out of dance. She's now at that 12-hour stage. I don't want to just go to them and say, sweetie, I want you to quit. I don't want to do that. I don't want to feel like them feel like I'm taking something away. So I put it before the Lord. I said, God, do something in my little Afton's heart. About a week later, she came and said, Dad, I think I'm done with dance. God is so good. He's just been faithful in my family time and time again when I failed him. So Afton came to me and said, I don't want to do dance anymore. I said, well, okay, are you sure? We had a conversation. I said, praise God, because this is what it's going to look like. This is what I feel like we should do in our family. So I go to work, and I come home. When I come home, we have dinner We have lots of family discussions. After that, we have Bible time together where we read together out loud and then we read a book together or we watch something from the Prophecy Watchers event. That's what our day looks like. We cut back on all activities because I want them to be trained up. I want them to know what it's like to have an intimate relationship with their Heavenly Father. And I don't care. I played sports too, but I don't care if that's what they gain. I don't, that's not what I want them to gain. I want them to gain Christ. Don't you? Don't you? Everything in life that's worth something will cost you something. Everything in life that's worth something will cost you something. It takes work. You have to do the work. We didn't just get to this place in our family overnight. It's, we've, we've, I've been doing this since Bible school and God put this in my heart. And so it's not too late. It's not too late for any of us. We just have to commit to our family and understand the, how God sees family and start being the men submitted to Christ so that our women were, a, were somebody worthy to follow. And not because I'm worthy to follow, because God in me is worthy to follow. And we've got to get our families before the Lord together because I'm telling you, time is running out. I have never seen a more coordinated attack against family than I have since Uncle Joe took office. Oh, don't talk about politics. I don't care. I don't care. He is not a leader who's not submitted to the headship of Christ. Why do we want to follow him? He doesn't have authority over me. God has authority over me. 
But you know what he does have authority over? The schools. And I'm sorry, I talked about you not having Bible verses to say, to, uh, like the three to five Bible verses every single week to sustain you in your walk with the Lord. Let me tell you something. If your kids are going to school and they're coming home and you don't have that family time and you're not training them up, it is not sustainable and they will be taken because of the world system wants them. I think every, this is my opinion, I think every Christian should homeschool. That's my opinion. That doesn't mean I look at you wrong. If, you, if you're not, that's not it. That, but I'm saying, here's the deal. If you are putting them in a school, why, why do I say that? Why would I say every Christian should homeschool? Because it's a time element. Do you have the time to train your children up in the way they should go that they will not depart from it? We're at war. It's real quiet today. So maybe you should be more intentional for date night. Maybe it means that you don't send the kids to, off to school or, or that you should homeschool. Maybe it means cutting back from activities. Maybe it means having a dev- dedicated Bible time. Maybe it means that you're already very intentional in your family culture and the Lord's just stirring you to go to the next level like he did with us. But it just kills me because I can't help but look around and think we are no different than the world when we get busy with the activities and do all the things that we're doing and we think it's okay. You know why? Because we are a consumer society. We go where we're comfortable at church. We go with our, you know, we have our, like I said, nice jobs, nice homes, all these different things. We go have our lunches with people after church. Nothing wrong with these things, okay? It's like, no, I'm not going with you now. <laughs> Did you hear what he said? <laughs> are we just a consumer just taking up and consuming all of the things that this world offers us. We need to be less busy, I will say that. And we have to put the work in. So guys, hear me again. I make a lot of mistakes. I've said that several times. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. In fact, I believe it's healthy for your family to see you mess up at times as long as they see you get on your face before God. They see a picture of what true resolution looks like. You know, there was a time where I was, it's just really crispy. I wasn't actually, I was traveling a lot for work and I wasn't in the word a lot. And it's like Cody talks about, there's just this time, it was like I was, not in the word, not being the leader that I needed to be in my family. And I was very crispy when I would even just communicate with Casey. And so I would I'd yell at her when we'd get in arguments. And I, it broke my heart. So I got before God and, and, and just got on my face. And it's like, Lord, I, I don't know where this has come from. Why, why am I just crispy with her? Guess what? When you're, when you're treating your wife like that, you're not loving her like, God, like Christ loves the church. And guess what? More is caught than taught. My kids are seeing how I'm interacting with my wife. 
So I went to Schaefer. Because Hayden, she was a little bit too scared. She was, she was too timid. She would always stand back behind Schaefer and Schaefer would be, a, you know. And I would just, I just had this, you know, just this relationship with Schaefer. And I went to him and I said, buddy, do you think it's right for me to be yelling at mom like this? And he said, no. It was cute. He was like four. He had a little lisp. Was, you know. Little buddy. <clears throat> um, and uh, I said, do you think it's, do you think it's, uh, appropriate or okay for me to yell at mom like this? And he's like, no. I said, me either. But I'm having a hard time for some reason. Like I just, you know, not treating her the way that I need to. I said, buddy, will you help me? He was like, yeah, like confused. You know how he could help me. And I said, because I know you have courage. If, if you hear me yelling at mom, would you just come up to me in that, in that moment and say, dad, why are you yelling at mom? See, we justify our sin. We put it in a pretty bow. We say all these things. It's not okay. And I'm, I'm showing that to my kids when I act like that. It's not okay. Wake up, men. Wake up. So I'll never forget. I was yelling at her. <laughs> I was, came home. I was traveling. I came home, and I, we got into an argument, and, and Schaefer comes, and Hayden stand behind him. <laughs> And he comes and tugs on my little shirt, on my shirt, and I look down, and I was just just so mad. And I look down at him, I go, yeah, buddy. And he goes, do you think you you should yell at mom like that? I looked down at him, I just laughed. I said, "You're, you're right, buddy. Thank you for having the courage to do that. I'm so sorry that you watched me talk to mom like that. That's not okay. Will you forgive me? Listen, your family, you're on a journey together to know Christ. Why not involve the people that love and care? They don't have to see you perfect. In fact, they need to see that you're not because that is the redemptive picture of Christ. You guys hear me? So we mess up at times. <clears throat> and they, look, they need to see true resolution. I said this before. Sorry is not in the Bible like you think it is. Sorry, actually, uh, when you look even in the King, remember I said the King James Version is actually the best version for a word, for word study. Um, I like reading out of the New King James, but in this it says, uh, there's this word sorry is not in most of the way that you use it. And actually in that, when you look up the passages, the Greek is actually different in times that it mentions sorry. Sorry actually was a time where they're like, so like when my dad died, died on a motorcycle accident, when he died, people said to me, I'm so sorry. Because it, it literally means compassion, to console, to grieve. That's what sorry means. The world hijacked it. I think it was around 1960s, actually, where we started seeing it more prevalent, where it's like, hey, I'm sorry. Hey, I did so. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry. That's not biblical resolution. It got hijacked. That's not biblical resolution. Biblical resolution is a picture of forgiveness. And it's not, let me tell you if, you, if you say to your wives, hey, I'm so sorry you feel that way. Try that and see how far you get. Okay? It isn't about that. You need to humble yourself and say, you know what? I've wronged you. 
will you forgive me? Because the picture of Christ is forgiveness, and with that forgiveness, your relationship is restored. Sorry is not what you think it is. Will you forgive me is. They need to see true resolution. We only have so much time to be good stewards that God has called us to be with our families. Don't waste it. One of the worst things that could happen is three years from now, you look back and say, man, I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have done that. We have an enemy. His plan is to keep your blinders on and attack you and your family. Everything that God has built and is building, don't let him do that. Don't let him attack you. Don't let him keep the blinders on. Train your children up in God's word and they will never depart from it. Are the things that you need to lay down become less busy and would say, we are more involved in the world system and we need to not, not be. So maybe you're busy, but not intentional. Maybe you feel like when your family is around, you're intentional, but they aren't around that much. Again, with all the activities and all the things that we do, are we training them up, and do we understand what God's picture of family is all about? And like I said, hopefully this has been communicated this morning. This could be a six-month talk for me. But you need to understand the picture of how God views family, and that was his design from the very beginning. And Satan is trying to attack it. And when we're in the world system, we, are, we fall prey to it. We get sucked in. We have to look back and go, we did it. And I want the Lord to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So what we're going to do today is we're going to open up the altar. And I'm, I'm going to be down there with my family. But it doesn't matter what has happened in the past. It doesn't matter what you're doing now. It only matters how you're going to do going forward. That's what matters. And even if you don't have a family, know what a godly family is all about when you do. We are at war. We have to stand firm. We have to fight. We can't be part of the world system. Enough is enough, and the time is now if there has been a time ever before. They are coming for our kids. Satan is coming for our kids. He wants to steal and kill and destroy you and me. So put your family at the altar before God and ask him to build a family of love, light, and life and show you how to build a family culture within the family so that you can live him out by knowing him and making him known.